What's up, my podcast listeners? This is your host, Rafael Matuszewski, and today is a special edition um, because, number one, I am utilizing, like, a Zoom screen share meeting for this, and we're going to go over a couple slides, I guess you'd call them more photos, to kind of get into the topic of what we're going to get into and also i realized that my laptop's camera is not as good as my iphone that i usually use so i apologize if the quality is not the greatest um so today we're going to go over something called the butt wink and i was having a conversation with another coach about this that had no idea what it was but it's something pretty pretty common when it comes to um training especially when it comes to squatting and I wouldn't define a butt wink during a deadlift, but we'll get into that later. Um, for those who are just listening, and hopefully this podcast is recording properly, um, I highly recommend you go click the show notes to watch this episode because we're going to put up some photos of the butt wink and kind of go over what I see, how I, you know, coach through it, and what kind of strategies um, I go over to kind of help an individual. Um, so number one, what the hell is a butt wink? So there's a certain point where if somebody squats and they're descending, and it's usually around that maybe 90 degree mark where they're almost parallel. If you watch closely, um, and it's different for everyone because there's so many variables to this. Um, the pelvis ends up kind of like tucking under and that is the so-called butt wink. And you'll see that when people go down to a certain height in their squat, whether it's weighted goblet front squat, or just, you know, body weight, the pelvis will tuck under and, there's a couple different ways of doing this um, or looking at it, I should say, is there's not anything necessarily bad about it. And what I want to do is actually see if I can remember how to, oh, what is, what is going on here? All right. So after having technical difficulties with my screen share, Hopefully now it will work. Yes, it is going to work. Amazing. Let's do this thing. Okay. So let's get this out of the way. Um, first thing, let's go look at what a butt wig looks like. So took this off of Girls Gone Strong's website. And here we have Molly doing a kind of like kettlebell pry squat. So when we look at um, her squat on the left side here, you can see that, you know, spine is neutral, pelvis is neutral and in line. And then when we compare it to the right side, again, like you can start seeing the spine starting to curve, but it's not that bad. But now you're starting to see that pelvis kind of tuck under. So this is what we're talking about when I, you know, mentioned the butt wink. And there's a few mechanisms of why this happens. 
Number one, it comes down to um, how your anatomy is kind of put together. So I think I've kind of spoken about this a little bit um, in my previous podcast about uh, low back pain and just hips in general. So there is six different types of pelvises based on your ancestors, where you come from, and, you know, how your femur is orientated, if your hip sockets are bigger or smaller, or your pelvis is more narrow or wide, and things like that. So that's going to play a huge role on how you squat. And I think I have another photo I want to look at. So when you look at this guy here, so we have our femur, which is our big, 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 big thigh bone. And this guy, the femoral head, kind of sits into your acetabulum, which is kind of like, you know, your your ball and socket uh, type of joint in your hip. And there are a couple things. So the femoral neck, that's this guy here, and hopefully you guys can see my cursor. If not, your femur bone, there's that big white thing that is the femoral head, and then this is kind of the neck of it. So even if you look at um, the whole pelvis in general, like I said, we have so many different types. And on top of that, the femoral neck here can also have a different angle based on your genetics that you got or you know where your ancestors are from. And that plays a huge role on how you squat, right? And then we throw in, you know, how tall you are, how short you are, if things are tight, if you sit all day, like all those things have a huge role and influence on how you squat. So what happens in a traditional squat, you have your pelvis, my two little hands, pelvis, your um, acetabulum, and you have your femur. So say I am standing, so my arm is now straight, and as I'm squatting, my femur is coming up, it's rotating through the socket of my hip, and then it starts coming towards, say, like parallel, and maybe it starts getting really close to where it's going to like pinch, where it's kind of like bone on bone. And what happens is your body goes, oh, you're about to lose, you know, range of motion in order to descend down. Let me help by taking your lumbar spine and tucking it. So now my whole, you know, ball and socket joint has now shifted this way. So now I can go higher in a sense of going lower in my squat. So I always tell people this, that our bodies are really good at cheating movement. And this is a really, really good example where your body wants to give you that range of motion. So it's going to compensate in a way to provide it. And it may or may not be a good thing. In the case of the butt wink, and I want to show a better photo and hopefully think it's this guy. Yeah. Come on. So kind of the example where we have our femur here, big, if you look at number one, uh, big bone, you can see the little bumpy part where we were looking at the femoral head. And as we are descending down, and this is our pelvis here, and that's our little tailbone. 
as we're going down, you can already see that it's supposed to move through that kind of socket area. And as we're going down, so you can already start seeing it, it's getting pretty close to that pelvis. And this pelvis right now is quite neutral in relation to that lumbar spine. As we move to get further, I don't know why this is the big exclamation mark. I just stole this from Google Images. But um, as we try to get more depth, this is what I was saying where the pelvis is about to tuck under along with the lumbar spine to give you more range. So you can already kind of see that this area is about to get pretty jammed up and it's about to tuck under. So if we look at step number five, how the pelvis is literally moved underneath. And again, it's not like a big, like, Oh my God, my tailbone's like now facing forward. It's not that dramatic, but it's enough to get that lumbar spine into flexion in order to get you more range of motion. Um, there is another photo that I wanted to bring up. What's this guy? Nope. Yeah. All right. So I think I stole this from the personal training development center. Another example of like, if you look at the left-hand side here, this dude um, squatting, the pelvis quite neutral in relation to where the lumbar spine is. And now that butt tuck or butt wink um, is now turning down and around. And now that lumbar spine is about to go into flexion. And you can already see in this little drawing how it kind of tilts forward. So when it comes to the butt wink, I said earlier that, you know, it's not the worst thing in the sense that when you do it body weight, you're not really putting yourself into that much danger. And I put that in air quotes um, in a sense that you don't have an external load going into that. What worries me a lot is when people go into lumbar flexion. I also look at, are they able to actually move through that lumbar spine? So hopefully this works. I wasn't even prepared to do this. Oh, perfect. I'm on my YouTube page already. Um, so when I assess somebody's spinal mechanics, when I do my FRA on them, the one thing that I see that we're going to look in this video. So if you look at Migo here, I'm in my big round position. I'm starting at my lumbar spine, and I'm thinking moving one segment at a time until I get all the way up until my neck, my cervical spine, and then I'm going back down. So this is an example of a fully functioning spine that moves well. But what if this section, I'm going to pause it, right in our lumbar spine that connects to our pelvis doesn't move the way it should and ends up just moving through here. What tends to happen is we end up with a hinge point. So if you look, and I'm going to go back again, come on video. 
I really like this format of my podcast. I wonder if this can, it won't, but. So pay attention very, very closely to where my tailbone is. Basically right in over here. As I go, you can already see that I'm literally just moving through my pelvis, right? Now I'm going through lumbar extension. Now I'm going through my TL junction. If someone doesn't have the ability to do that, and I see them butt winking, I get a little bit worried because where are you getting that range of motion from? Because I've seen a lot in my you know, assessments using the FRA where the lumbar spine kind of just clumps as one unit. And then there's a lot of movement through the TL junction, which is like right around here. And if you talk to most people, they'll end up saying that, you know, most of their back pain or back tightness tends to kind of come through that middle section, which at least it gets to a point where it's um, the most fatigued. And when this happens, where do you think most of the force load and, you know, muscle activation is going to come from when they are squatting with a barbell on their back going to, you know, that butt wink um, position. So I'm going to get out of here and go back to here. So if we have some individual, like I was saying, that can't move through this lumbar spine, and constantly has to have the pelvis tuck under pretty quickly. And that's the other thing too, is like, this is an example of someone who can squat to parallel. And the moment they try to go past parallel is when the butt wink happens. So really what you can do to coach to correct it is don't go past parallel and you will be fine. Because what happens is one, if you look at spine research, when it comes to back pain, and this is all credited to low back disorders that Dr. Sue McGill wrote, anytime there is flexion present in the spine under load, that's a literally easiest way to get a herniated, herniated disc. So in my mind, I have an individual in front of me that may have a barbell on their back, and their coach is yelling at them to get lower and lower and lower. But no matter how they do their squat, that pelvis constantly tucks under to get lower. And now we have our lumbar spine into flexion. And we are back squatting 135 pounds. So what do you think is going to happen? You know, like, where is that force going to be put through? What tissues? And this goes back to like my rants all the time, how people don't have the prerequisites in order to back squat. And the butt wink is one of those things, but, but there's always exceptions to the rule. If you look at Olympic weightlifters and they do any kind of clean, variation or just a clean in general, they're always going to drop down into that deep squat. 
those people are the outliers where they've literally trained their body to adapt to those stresses from such an early age that they're able to withstand those forces. But, you know, Sally Sue, mom of three, that's in her mid forties going into a gym and placing a barbell on her back that barely has a lumbar spine that moves has a tight T-spine and tight hips and constantly goes into a butt wink position when she squats, fuck yeah, that's going to cause some damage in places um, that you don't want. Um, when it comes to correcting the butt wink, like I mentioned before, we can easily um, just not go past parallel or to the point of... Um, or past the point of where it happens. So it can be different for everyone. So there's a couple things where, you know, if someone was like, I need to back squat or, you know, they love squats in general, because this can also happen if you're just doing a goblet squat with, you know, your dumbbell in front of you or a kettlebell in front of you, whatever it is. Couple things we need to look at. Number one, you need to get a, an assessment done because there's so many different factors, right? There's ankle mobility, knee mobility, hip mobility, thoracic mobility. There's so many things. So we're going to hopefully get through um, all of that in this next bit. So the first thing I'm going to look at, and I'm going to use this picture again because it's pretty good, um, ankle mobility. So in order to squat at any depth, you need somewhat of a decent ankle in order to you know, squat low. The ankle itself could be that factor where it keeps that pelvis in a neutral position past 90 degrees or past that point where you usually um, get uh, the butt wink. So there are so many ways to get ankle mobility. So actually, let's go back to my YouTube page and look at some ankle mobility stuff. So number one, ankle cars are huge. Let's play this guy. So when you look at the ankle, number one, what I'm doing here is locking out my knee joint and my hip joint. So this is called a Kimura lock. So you can see my hands on top of my um, tibia and my other hand slides under on top of my forearm and I'm literally locking my hip and knee out. And I'm just doing giant ankle circles. So we are talking about dorsiflexion, but in order for your entire ankle to actually um, move the way it should, you got to look at the mechanics of it. And our ankle is actually like it tilts back and forth. So it's able to pronate and supinate. So those things also need to be worked on. So ankle cards is one of those things that, kind of encompasses everything that the ankle needs to do. Now, the other one that I want to oh, let's get here. How do I get that guy? I don't. Well, it's going to move you down. Oh, look, I'm learning how to use zoom and screen share. Um, is just ankle mobility. And I think, This is an old video of me, so a heads up with my long hair and my man bun. But a simple, like, 
ankle dorsiflexion um, mobilization just going back and forth. Because sometimes, you know, if you sit at a desk all day and don't move your ankles like I just demonstrated with ankle cars, you just kind of have to feed the nervous system that you're going to be using your ankles. So I'm just going back and forth through dorsiflexion. Super, super simple to use. Um, another one, if you're actually serious about changing um, tissue quality and actually make a change is utilizing pails and rails. So I've done so many different, you know, podcast episodes about what the hell pails and rails is, but essentially you would take yourself into dorsiflexion, hold it for two minutes. And what we're going to do in this scenario is our pails contraction will be your toes pushing down into the ground as hard as possible. And I think that's coming up. Yeah, there you go. So you can already see that my toes are driving down, push, push, push. So I'm influencing all the stuff in the front of the ankle that's responsible for, um, dorsiflexion and then I'm going to do the rails contraction where I'm trying to lift my toes up and notice that I did not lean back. And if you also look at my face, I'm like making really angry faces is because I'm literally trying to contract as much muscle cells involved in that motion to get more out of it. So a lot of times when I teach kin stretch or um, do one-on-ones, like I'm trying to teach people to literally explode as much energy into that contraction to get, you know, your most bang for your buck on this. Um, I'm really enjoying this new platform, how I'm doing this, but let's go back to the photo. Maybe let's use this one. Yeah, let's screw this one. I'm going to go to this guy. So we looked at the ankle. So we have three exercises, I believe, ankle cars, we have the ankle dorsiflexion and the pails and rails. So now looking, it's like the knee joint. So many people don't have enough tibial rotation to squat. So what the hell is tibial rotation? So if we go back to my lovely YouTube page, which by the way, if you haven't subscribed, you totally should because look at how many videos I'm just like popping up, like no problem. It's a great reference. And now I believe my, um, it's called tutorial page is now over 300 exercises. So great resource, hit the show notes and subscribe. So tibial rotation, let's go angle cars. Oh, no, not ankle cars. What am I talking about? Knee cars, knee cars. Come on guys. All right, so tibial rotation. Um, before I get there, we're going to watch this one. In the squat, if you look at this video, if it finally goes into full screen, if you look here, this is my tibia going back and forth through internal and external rotation. So my hand is not moving in. It's literally just the tibia. So if I come on, do one more. There we go. External rotation of my tibia. 
if you go down into a squat, you need adequate tibial rotation in order for the femur and the tibia to move simultaneously to give you enough room to descend down. So now imagine, for the most part, people's ankles are shit because they can't move them. Most people's tibial rotation sucks. So you have now two things going against you when it comes to um, your squad, which will then make your body compensate to give you more range of motion elsewhere, a.k.a. the butt wink is going to happen. So doing a standard kind of like tibial rotation knee car is where I like to start with people. But then you also have to look at, okay, my knee joint does more than just you know, tibial rotation. It can also go into flexion and extension. So one exercise that I utilize a lot, and people have a lot of trouble doing this, is going into extension and flexion while utilizing both internal and external rotation of the tibia. So something like this in your warm-up or every single day is huge. The biggest thing with this is people don't know how to lock out their ankle. So if I go back to the very beginning, I want to show something very important. So I'm setting up for my ankle car. Watch what I do with my toes here. I drive them to my face as high as possible. So now my ankle joint is locked out because also your tibia guess what connects to your ankle and it needs to be able to move there. So if I'm trying to just utilize the tibia to go to external internal rotation without the influence of my ankle, I need to lock it out. So now I'm purely working um, tibial rotation. So something like this will help a lot. Now I feel like I'm talking forever. I don't even know how I'm doing on time, but we need to move on to the hips. So if you remember correctly, we're going to look at this guy. Oh, hi, Molly. <laughs> All right. So this is just a rough idea of how our hip looks like. Our hip can move in so many different planes of motion, so many different angles. There's a lot of musculature that runs through the hip. And if you've been following me on social media, I've been doing a lot of um, anatomy posts in relation to the adductors that connect to the hip, and there's some that connect to the hip and across the knee joint. So super important. So now let's go talk about your hips. So many people are so tight in their damn hips, so no wonder your pelvis is tucking under to give you more range of motion in order to squat. So there's a couple ways to attack this. One we need to check internal and external rotation. How much do you actually have? And this is where, you know, I like to use the analogy of like, how much capacity does your hips have? You know, out of 100%, where are your hips right now? Are your hips at 90%, 70%, 40? Because a lot of times when I do my functional range assessment on new people, I ask them this question, after we finish the hip section, out of 100%, like if you had to give yourself like a percentage, where are you at? Usually it's like 40 to 60%. And then I go, okay, so you're saying right now you have a 40% hip, but you're going to the gym doing things like a back squat, which requires 100% hip. So how is that supposed to benefit you 
without some sort of negative thing, right? So that's where a lot of times it clicks in for people. And I think if we spend more time learning this stuff and fixing, fixing again, um, as much as possible, then we can start, you know, pushing. Am I saying you need to have a hundred percent hip to be able to back squat? No, but it should at least be around like 80%. Like, don't you agree? Like, I think that's a kind of a fair thing, but if you're at 40, you have no business being there. You're just going to make things worse. So how do we improve hip mobility? I've already done a huge, huge, huge episode on it, but something like the hip 90, 90, which we're going to watch really, really, really soon. Well, this is kind of a combo move. And again, this is an old video of me. So we're setting up. So in the 90-90 position, the cool thing is the front leg is the working leg, and we have our hip into external rotation. Oh, and I kind of skipped a step, but it's okay. Um, indirectly in this position, this trailing leg is actually into internal rotation. The 90-90 is literally like a godsend when it comes to helping improve hip mobility. So if I utilize this stretch every day, so we're going into external rotation, getting a deep stretch, and then opening the back leg into external rotation as well. So something like this before any workout, 100% you need to do. And you don't have to flip around like that, but that's okay. Right? Nice and slow. The thing that I wanted to go through before this video was checking how much hip internal and external rate rotation you have. Um, let's see what we got. This guy right here. A lot of times. So I'm going into hip flexion, which is required in our squat, because as we're coming down, our hips are going to flexion. So this is very specific to this butt wing thing. So the nice thing in this position is it's very specific. So now I'm going to place my leg into external rotation. So I'm driving the ankle towards my face, towards my midline. And going the other way will be internal rotation, right? A lot of times when people do this, they barely are able to move their hip, especially into internal rotation. These two things are so vital when it comes to um, squatting. And I think, at least um, in my opinion, having those um, three things, adequate hip mobility, um, adequate knee motion and range of motion, um, and ankle mobility. If those things are cleared up and you're at like, say, 70 to 80% capacity of what those joints should be doing, then most likely you're not going to have a butt wink or a weird thing that could cause pain. And then I guess bonus number four is a fully functioning spine that actually can move interdependently like I showed you with the FRC cat cow. Um, I think I'm going to end it there because I feel like this could be like three hours long, especially now that I'm doing the screen share thing and I'm like giving examples. But um, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out, hit the show notes, watch this video if you were just listening. Um, 
where was I going to go from there? Um, add me on Facebook, add me on Instagram and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Like there's a lot on there. Great resource for exercises and demos and my podcast and my ebook is coming out soon. Been filming like crazy for it. Um, I'm almost done, almost done editing. So it's all kind of coming together. So I'm still hoping for the fall to release it. So stay tuned for that. And hopefully this whole thing recorded. And that's it for me, you guys. Until next time.